0: I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Hashtag STR Ask from Stand to Reason. Welcome, Greg.
1: <laughs> here I am.
0: All right. Um this for, Today, Greg, we have some questions about doing apologetics. All right. So this first question comes from Jacek. I love Colombo tactics. It's absolutely great. However... The claim that it works in every situation seems to be false to me. I think it does not work when somebody is using Columbo tactics against us. What should I do in such a case?
1: Well, um, first of all, the idea of it, using it in every situation, um, that's a generalization. Okay, when in doubt, ask a question is what I say. Uh, always use a—never make a statement when a question will serve your purpose better. Sometimes a question doesn't serve your purpose better. OK, so just to qualify that concept. Secondly, um, it is not unusual to answer, to respond to a question with a question. If people are asking us questions, um, in fact, a lot of times the, the question they're asking it, it is is essentially a challenge offered in the interrogative, OK, with a question mark after it. Well, those challenges, even offered as a question, generally can't contain ambiguities that need to be clarified. And the question, well, what do you mean by that? Hasn't the Bible been changed? That's a question to me. What do you mean it's been changed? Isn't it true that such and so? And then you ask a question for clarification. What this does is it, obviously it buys you time. That's a really good thing. But it throws the ball back in their court and forces them to clarify so you have a clearer understanding of what you're up against. So um, I, it's, it certainly doesn't seem clear to me that questions can't be used in those circumstances. Now, sometimes the question being asked is very clear and doesn't give itself to asking another question. There's nothing wrong with them just responding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have any difficulty with that. The concern that I have with regards to Colombo, or w- which is why the Colombo tactic is so helpful, is it gives people a different way of responding mm-hmm. than answering or preaching or giving their view, which could then be d- a disregarded or gainsaid. They could be objected to or or um, uh, contradicted. Is the point? Um, And so by asking questions—and Street Smarts, by the way, is filled with examples of this, of points that people are making against us, challenges that they're making against us, or ways of putting their own view that seem to be impermeable. Like, oh, the atheist says, well, I just lack a belief in God, okay? I lack a belief in God. Since I lack a belief, nobody has to defend their lack of belief. You lack a belief in lots of things, and you don't have to defend your lack of belief. Well, that's, I think, a, a very disingenuous maneuver. And so, this is where there is uh, you know, we have questions to ask to clarify. The fact is, they may lack a belief in God, but the reason that they lack a belief in God is that they believe God does not exist, which is the classical definition of an atheist but uh they don't want to affirm god does not exist because that seems to put some burden of proof on them so there are lots of things like that in the book where people come at you and the questions are going to be geared to help unwrap the challenge on us or the defense that they're offering for their own view and uh so i i i guess in principle i would acknowledge um uh Jacek's point that not every single circumstance um is well-suited for asking questions, but I would say most are.
0: And I think it's important to remember the goal of the tactics. The tactics aren't a trick. They're they're there for a purpose, and the purpose is clarity. The purpose of the tactics is to keep a good conversation going where you can bring out the truth. Mm -hmm. So if someone else is legitimately asking you good questions, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Our whole goal is to get our view out uh, and and have a, a clear view, so we're asking questions to draw them out. If somebody's already interested in the conversation, and they have questions about your view, maybe they're pointing out a way that your view is contradictory. That's fine. We want the truth, and we want to explain the truth. So. There's nothing wrong with them, even using mm-hmm. Columbo tactics. Sure, they're just they're just helping you clarify your position.
1: Maybe one, one case in point about clarification, though, is uh, I was at an event with Dennis Prager, and it was all Jewish audience, and Dennis asked me, "Is it, it is belief in Jesus required to go to heaven, or something to that effect?" And of course, the answer to that, he knew it because we talked about this before, but he wanted to engage that issue before the Jewish audience and have me kind of explain or characterize it in my way. And I said, if I were to answer just a simple answer, yes, it would give the wrong impression. It would make um, my my view look anti-Semitic, and it would also make it sound like people were going to hell for being Jewish. Like that's what I was saying, and so I need to clarify this and 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 uh, lay some groundwork for that. And then I did an explanation. You were actually there. Mm-hmm. you were sitting in the back of the audience there, and uh, my our staff, you know, were the only goyim <laughs> uh, that were there, except for the priest and sitting next to me on my left, and and uh, and also Dennis's wife, you know, Susan. So. Um, uh, it, it was a, an attempt to help people see the sense of it, that Jesus was a rescuer of all people from the the punishment that was due them for rebellion against God, and, and either Jesus pays or we pay. You know, that's the simple calculus. So anyway, there was an occasion where a question was asked that um, not not meant to trap me, but it's the kind of question that would Jews would ask. But if you just give the straight-up answer, it gives the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be careful to characterize it in a way that gives the correct impression and not the wrong impression.
0: In fact, uh, in that case, uh, I don't think he was trying to trap you at all. But there are some people who are trying to use right. questions, maybe illegitimately. And in those cases... Hopefully you can use the Columbo questions to yeah. say, what do you mean by that? And draw out where they're maybe bringing in a hidden assumption or they're asking something that's illegitimate. But as long as they're asking legitimate questions and challenging what you're saying and and asking what you mean by that, mm-hmm. if they're using tactics correctly, there's nothing... <laughs> You have nothing to fear from that. That's right.
1: That's right. And you're right about Dennis. And he was trying to create dialogue where I could give a a more uh, Mm -hmm. full-throated explanation. But that wasn't the case with Deepak Chopra when I had that debate with him. And he raised the same issue. And it was basically it was something to the effect of people. So people who don't believe just like you are going to hell. That was kind of the way he put it. And so I had to navigate that. I talk a little bit about that in the tactics book. And somebody helped me to task because they saw the video and said that wasn't his exact quote. <laughs> I thought, okay, it's going from memory, but that was pretty much his point. So uh, and sometimes that can, be, that can be asked in a way to make our view look ridiculous. And this is why it's really important that we are able to characterize it accurately. And we can't do that unless we understand it that we understand no one goes to hell for not believing in Jesus. It, it, it's not there at the great white throne judgment. There we see in Revelation 20, they, they are judged according to their deeds. It's a just judgment based on humans' crimes against God. And that's what sometimes it's a little tricky for Christians to characterize, because they don't think of it in that term. They think of it like, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you you go to hell. Well that's Jesus is the solution. <laughs> He's not the problem. So when somebody dies and it doesn't say uh, died of stupidity uh, on this tombstone he didn't go to the doctor the doctor's the solution he died of some disease that the doctor could have helped him with but it was the di- disease that killed mm-hmm. him and in 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 our circumstances the human condition the disease so to speak is a moral one and is called sin rebellion against God. Mm-hmm.
0: Here's a question from B. From the tradition of Christian apologetics, I have received a high respect for truth. However, in theology and doctrines, all my Christian friends tell me that only some doctrines matter. Why not defend all that has been taught of right doctrine for the past 2,000 years? I just don't understand.
1: Well, um, there's a difference between something that's heretical and something that is heterodox. Okay? Um, Heretical. Views are those that deny some essential core of Christianity: deity of Christ, for example, substitutionary atonement. Um, that God exists, or uh, I mean, why would that be contentious? Because there are people who, who are even men of the cloth who are atheists. It's strange, but. It's true, because they see religion as being an entirely different kind of enterprise. Um, So there are core doctrines, uh, uh, things about the nature of being human, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, there's a claim to deity there, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, okay, Romans 10. So there are these pieces, and this is what I tried to capture the foundational pieces there in the story of reality. God, man, Jesus, cross, ultimate resurrection to reward or punishment. These are all cornerstones, if you will, foundational pieces of the Christian view of reality. Now, it's what C.S. Lewis might call mere Christianity. Now, once you have that in place, there are disagreements about particulars. And um, do you have to be baptized to be saved, for example? Now, the claim that you must be water baptized to be saved is a heterodox view. It's not—I think it undermines certain aspects of the, the work of the cross, but you can believe that and still be a Christian. I think it's false, I think it's damaging, but you can still be a Christian. What this points out is that there are some issues that are more important than others. They're not more true than others. Um, truth is not a degreed property. Either it's true or it's not true, any given precise clear statement, okay? Um, But the weight of the truth of that may be in question. Deny the truth of the deity of Christ, and you're not a Christian. Uh, you, you, You may be a fine person, and you may be a different religion. And by the way, for the sake of discussion, you might even be right, but you wouldn't be Christian, because an essential piece of Christianity is the deity of Christ, okay? Um, but on, on other issues, there are multiple issues about the return of Christ. That Christ is coming back. That is Orthodoxy, okay? Denying Christ's return, this is a problem. This is a big problem. But when Christ is going to return, and what that term return looks like in terms of historical events, well, there is quite a bit of variety on that view. They can't all be right. And um, our questioner, um, what's her name? B. B. I don't know if it's a... Oh, okay. And B is right that um, we should try to pursue the truth on any given issue Mm -hmm. that we're focusing in on. But what we don't want to do is strain at gnats and swallow camels. right? We don't want to be really, really dogmatic about a a smaller thing that isn't so critical that we could be mistaken on and is not critical to the foundation. But we should—and by the way, those things that are critical to the foundation are repeated frequently, all right? So what does it mean in 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about baptism of the dead? Well, I don't know. (laughs) It's the only place it's mentioned. There's some ideas about what it could be referring to, but the LDS Church, our Mormon friends, make a huge doctrine out of it. And this is why they baptize for the dead, because they think people who didn't get saved after the fashion of their doctrine um, in this life can be saved later if we by proxy baptize them into salvation. Okay? Well, notice that there's a doctrine that is built on one verse, and by the way, does seem to go contrary to other verses that that, uh, are rather clear. So the the plain, the plain main things are the plain things. And if a thing is not plain and frequently mentioned, uh, it's probably not a main thing. There is a truth to the matter, no question. And if you want to focus in on that, it's important to try to get the truth. But I think it's a mistake to major in minors if you don't have the majors clearly in place.
0: Yeah, I think what's key here is... There, there's probably a situation where you could defend any doctrine. It's not that you should ignore certain doctrines. You should think clearly about every doctrine. You should try and think through what you think about everything. And there will be situations where you are discussing with your fellow Christians, say, you know, it could be some secondary doctrine. I don't, I don't even know what, end times, whatever it is. And there's a place for Christians debating that and trying to defend their beliefs and trying to convince others there's there's a place for that. So it just depends on who who you're talking to. If you're talking to an unbeliever, there are certain things that have to be in place before you move on to end times. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point here. And that might be the point that your your friends are making to you. It's not that you can't defend all of these things. There are situations where you will, but in a situation where somebody knows nothing, you're not going to start with end times. Even Paul talks about how they weren't ready to move on to other doctrines. Right. They had to start with the core doctrines. Mm-hmm. And then once they understood those, then they would move on to other ones. Mm-hmm. And that's just—I that's I think that's all that's going on here. We're focusing on—when you're talking to an unbeliever, we're focusing on defending the things that are core to Christianity and salvation. Right. But there are times. There are certainly times. I'm really grateful there are academics and theologians and all sorts of people who are discussing the finer points of doctrine. Right. There's certainly a place for that. But it's probably not with your, you know, mm-hmm. the person on the street.
1: Yeah, I was uh, last uh, week or so in the evenings. I <laughs> my bedtime reading was um, Alan Gomes's edition <laughs> of uh, W. G. T. Shed's Dogmatics, which is like a thousand pages. It's a huge tome. And uh, man, he goes through lots of things in really fine ways, but the the, the work is over 100 years old. It's 125 years old, or even more. And it's amazing how carefully older theologians we're able to think through issues. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And uh, I benefit from that, even on these kind of secondary questions, because they do shed light on the primary issues as well. Mm-hmm. So um, there is there is benefit in, in, in looking at the details and doing the best that we can to get them right. But like I mentioned, first things first.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a question from Johannes. Looking for answers for apologetic questions can be quite time-consuming and resource-binding. To what extent can it become wrong once other parts of a spiritual life are beginning to suffer, such as reading the Bible, participating in church events, etc.?
1: Well, it's hard to—a little bit hard to answer that question. If all you're doing is reading apologetics books and you have no relationship—there are no um, relationship-building— uh activities that you have building your relationship with God and with being involved in your community because you're doing all this other stuff then that's a problem i think that's a problem because it doesn't build a balanced individual uh it it seems like in that case all apologetics are is a kind of rational i don't want to say game really but something like that a rational um uh, you know, activity or—I um, still can't find the right word—like a recreational thing. Oh, this is fun for me, so I like to do this and figure all this stuff out. But it, it, apologetics is the defense of the faith, that is, the content of the things we hold to be true. So it, it makes little sense to be involved in apologetics if you are not interested in uh, uh, um, defending (laughs) the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and promoting that and living consistently with it. In fact, that's part of our point. If Christianity is true, it affects everything. It affects our entire life, not just quote-unquote religion in a restricted sphere but our business and our education and uh, the way we uh, comport ourselves in all kinds of circumstances, these should be informed by a robust Christian worldview. So there isn't this dichotomy, this this um, like two-story fact-value dichotomy, okay? On the lower story, in, in, to use the metaphor, you've got facts, and the facts are unrelated to the values, which are just guesses kind of thing. And if we are looking at facts of Christianity, By the defense of the faith, and we are just doing that, and we are not showing the ramifications that our discovery of the truth of Christianity is having in all areas of our life, including morality, family issues, uh, uh, the way the 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 full uh, expression of of human existence. Then, then we are we're not doing apologetics the way um, they they should be done. Mm -hmm. Notice that. when po- the famous apologetics verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer, make a defense, for the hope that is in you, for the hope that is in you. Not the abstract truth of Christianity, but the truth of Christianity gives us a hope regarding the future and the present. Mm-hmm. And so even in that verse, the that the focus is on the hope that we have, justified by the facts.
0: Mm-hmm. He's talking, and he's talking to Christians who are being persecuted, right. and but they continue to do what's right. So people are wondering why are they still doing what's right if? It costs them why aren't so they returning evil for evil? And it's mm-hmm. because they're representing Jesus, and that's what Jesus did for them. Mm-hmm. So their behavior ends up being an apologetic for who Jesus mm-hmm. is, and. I I think um I think you've hit the nail on the head Greg that this we've got to remember what this is for. This is all about knowing God, loving God, being with God, being with his people. That's what we're defending. And it's kind of like if you if you wanted to defend the nuclear family and you never went home because you were always you know it's at like, your in your classroom or yeah, you know
1: defending the nuclear family, yeah. right?
0: There, there's, something, there's a reason for all this. It's not just ideas. There's something more important going on here. You have to remember, your soul is real. If you are not eating and drinking the Bible and prayer and fellowship, then you will starve to death. And I've seen this happen. I've seen people email me and say, you know, they've been spending all this time on atheist blogs, and they've been talking to people, and they're starting to feel dead inside. And the answer is, well, you know, you have a relationship with God. If you were to defend, let's say, your spouse, but you never talked to your spouse, what would happen? You'd start—that that, that would just shrivel up and die, the whole relationship. So if it's coming in between you and God, then there is a problem because that is the number one thing we're, we're supposed to do. When you're reading the Bible, you see the main things we're supposed to be doing— we're supposed to be living in fellowship with others, worshiping God and bringing other people to into that fellowship. That's mm-hmm. another point. As you're talking to people and you're doing apologetics, your whole goal is to bring them into that fellowship, into mm-hmm. that body of Christ. So you need to nurture your place in that body. Now, where does it, at what point does it become wrong? I don't I mean, I can't really answer that exact question except that if you are not Placing importance on these other things, you are going to have a lot of trouble in the future.
1: Well, the answer might be if you what you if you feel like you're drying up spiritually mm-hmm. in your relationship with God, then uh, that might be a, a an indication that you're not nurturing that relationship. Yeah, and there's going to be difference with different temperaments. And I wrote about this recently in a mentoring letter um, that I think it just went out last month. That uh, different people have different responses. Um, they have different temperaments. They're going to some will feel closer to God emotionally, and others will feel more distant. And uh, we still are, we still need to work on that. So even those who feel, in a certain sense, more left-brained in the whole process and can't get as much in touch with the affective elements of Christianity as somebody who's more right-brained, you can still work to nurture that relationship. And that's what I talk about in that letter.
0: And let me say one last thing, because I I have seen this happen, too, where, you know, he, he says looking for these answers can be quite time consuming and resource binding. So what I've seen people do is they they get stuck on a question and they think they have to find an answer right now. But that just isn't the case. Just give yourself time if there's if you don't have to answer everything right away. You've got time to go back. You've got time to look. You don't have to resolve every question you have immediately. And I've, I've seen people get so focused on one question that they do put everything else aside. But if you can just give yourself a little bit of grace and say, you know, I'm going to put this in the back of my mind for now. I'm going to read through the Bible a few times, see what comes up, then I'll come back to it. It's okay. We, we, we trust that Christianity is true based on everything that we know already. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we can, you know, take our time answering things when we need to. Right. All right. That's all the time we have. Thank you for your questions. If you'd like to send us a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask, or you can go through our website at str.org. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to reading your questions. We love hearing from you. (laughs) You send the most interesting questions, and we're really (laughs) grateful for that. All right. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.